This is Blue Wire. Hey guys, welcome to another Blue Wire Buckets. Today, you got me, Mo Dakil, from a podcast we've yet to really figure out what we're going to do yet. So uh, we haven't even come up with a name, although I like the podcast to be named later. And today with me on Buckets is Ty Windich. You know him from the, the Eurostep podcast, as well as his partner, Kane Pittman. Ty, how you doing, man? I'm good. You know, I would be better if I was busy prepping for uh, Bucks Warriors finals. But uh, even in light of Milwaukee falling short to Toronto, I'm, I'm not doing too bad. I can't really complain. How's the city doing? Like we saw Toronto respond and, and we saw their reaction and everybody went nuts. But I'm curious, what's what's going on in Milwaukee? It's tough. I don't know if it's been like pure anarchy at this point. I think everyone is disappointed. I know some of the great content shared from the exit interviews by Kane and others have uplifted people a little bit. You know, Giannis saying a lot of the right things about how the team will be better. George Hill and Brooke Lopez talking about how they could potentially be back. I mean, nothing for sure, of course, but some promising things there. And I think I think a lot of people luckily recognize that Although Milwaukee did not, I don't think, play up to you know their absolute ceiling, they didn't lose to an okay team or a bad team. They lost to a very, very good team with a guy, Kawhi Leonard, who's been, I think a lot of people agree, if not most people, the best player throughout the playoffs thus far. And you know some things don't break Milwaukee's way. Freddie Van Vliet having the best series of his <laughs> life to commemorate his newborn son, good for him. But still, I mean, Kawhi and the Raptors went out there and they earned that win. So I don't think Milwaukee is too devastated, although I know, obviously, everyone wanted the Bucks to make their first finals since 1974. No doubt about that. Yeah, and, and we, we do have – he didn't have his best series. Fred Van Vliet had his best three games ever. Uh, it was yeah, like easily. 14 to 17. Uh, before that, it was like, oh, boy, this is a problem. But, uh, man, it's, it's, it's brutal. Before we kind of get into that game – what what did you feel you know it let me put it let me phrase it this way this is a big off season for the bucks i mean it seems like everybody but Giannis is a free agent and and, and bloodso cuz he signed him to that extension what what's your concern with the off season coming up well it, it's tough you know uh nikola mirotic becoming literally unplayable makes that decision easier at least <laughs> Uh, the Bledsoe extension, which I felt great about at the time, uh, now all of a sudden after the way he's looked in most of his postseason action with the Bucks over these two playoff runs is looking a little in doubt too. So now it kind of feels almost like, okay, that's the only guy we managed to sign to uh, any sort of an extension or anything earlier in the season. Now there's the chance that you know Chris Middleton could walk you know, without Milwaukee even getting a chance to match. Malcolm Brogdon could sign an offer sheet too rich for the Bucks to match. You know, Brooke Lopez could find offers that Milwaukee can't match. George Hill technically still under contract, but if, with a $19 million salary and only like $2 million of it guaranteed, he's obviously going to get cut. Maybe he gets brought back from there, but, I mean, he'd be an unrestricted free agent too. So I think the concern is obvious. I mean, this core was good enough to win 60 games, and all of a sudden there's – you know, very obvious routes to losing some really key personnel, especially in my opinion, Brooke Lopez, Malcolm Brogdon, and Chris Middleton. 
And then Brooke, Brooke Lopez was uh, not, um, George Hill, I should say, was crucial in the playoffs a lot too. And it's just tough, you know. Either you keep everyone or almost everyone and pay a whole lot of money, or you lose some key players with no real avenue to replace them. So I think that's what made maybe this finals loss hurt a little more than some would for a team that, you know, the core player is very young, but around Giannis, a lot of older players, a lot of players reaching really interesting points in their contract, you know, sort of history, I, I guess you could say. Yeah. So the concern there is you just don't get the right pieces back. Yeah, and that's like, see, you felt good about the Bledsoe contract at the time. I was not. I was of the opposite end of like, let's just see what he does in the playoffs. Like I was I was concerned with the idea of we're just going to pay him now. And and I think I understood it, you know, why they did it, just trying to to get something off their 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 list, one less guy to worry about. And and it was a good number deal. It wasn't like, you know, he got overpaid or anything like that. But I just kind of feel like I would have been much more comfortable going, we're going to match whatever Brogdon gets and we'll wave George uh, George Hill and, and and bring him back on a on a different deal um, and, and, and let Bledsoe walk. Like I would have felt way more comfortable with that. Um, and I think – I'm that that's the deal that really scares me if they lose Brogdon because I've I like blood. So I don't love him. I don't think he's a great playoff guy. I know he had a good run in the playoffs up until the series. But for me, there's it's there's something about him. I just don't trust him come playoff time. And and it showed in that one. So, um, it, man, it's just a lot of tough decisions. You know, um, you might not like this, but I don't know if Middleton's a number two guy on a championship team. Um, but you're going to have to pay him number two money right now to keep him. So that's going to be. Yeah, I mean, I, just to be clear, sorry, I don't mean to cut no, you off. I don't know if he is either, but, you know, the concern there is really what else do you right. do? Uh, you know, with the Bledsoe extension, I mean, this is something I, I kicked around a little bit uh, before the deal, the, the extension was signed or made official or reported or whatever. There was a way to open up a whole lot of cap space in Milwaukee. While keeping holds on Brogdon, his cap hold is small, and even Middleton, and they could have brought in a guy. But then with the Bledsoe extension, there's just no real cap space left unless the Bucks do some prodigious salary dumping, and uh, they already owe quite a few firsts and, and some seconds too. So that's not really, I don't think, tenable unless unless someone really likes like Sterling Brown or DJ Wilson and will take some bad right. deals for them. I don't, I don't think that's you know a thing that would happen, but. We both know there's some dumb teams out there. Who knows? But yeah, at this point, I just I almost wonder if you almost just have to sort of keep Chris for now and and look for maybe opportunities to improve going forward. Much like you know these Toronto Raptors did. They didn't improve conventionally when they got Kawhi. Although I don't think any franchise should bank on being able to trade for Kawhi Leonard. I don't think it does. It doesn't happen very <laughs> not, often. Not not too often. We uh, you end up like the Lakers, who we'll we'll get back to a little bit later at the end of this pod. Um, but what let's let's go to the series now, you know, and, and, and I haven't had a chance to talk to you about it, but, you know, where do you feel it went wrong? Well, uh, we saw the Raptors really adjust defensively, and I think Milwaukee's offense didn't have a wrinkle that it, it, it very quickly became clear they needed. So one of the sort of defining moments in the series, in my opinion, was Around the game two, game three sort of time, you know, uh, a quick recap for anyone who doesn't remember, Raptors completely blow game one and give it away to the Bucks, And what felt like a huge momentum shift for Milwaukee that carries over and 
a blowout Bucks winning game too. You know, one of the things that changed that Nick Nurse changed about his team was Pascal Siakam starts covering Bledsoe when the starters match up or when those guys are on the floor. And by covering, I mean not right. really covering. If Eric Bledsoe didn't have the ball at the perimeter, Pascal Siakam just didn't care about him because the focus of the Raptors' defense was clearly, okay, we're going to sell out everything on Giannis and really anyone who drives, and we're going to make a non-ideal shooter shoot. The irony in this is that's pretty much exactly how the Bucks played defense all year, and it worked really well. And I know I've seen already uh, here and there people saying, well, this Bucks defense allowing all these threes is what got them beat. I don't think that's true. I don't think they – I think they, they should have defended Fred Flynn Vliet better, of course, but uh, I don't think that's on their defensive scheme as much as I think their defense got used against them. And the lack of spacing when Bledsoe and Giannis shared the floor made it really hard for Giannis. The Raptors constricted all the drives to the rim. And I think Milwaukee didn't have enough in their toolbox of sort of getting guys like Giannis and Middleton, who was clearly just not involved in the offense enough for most of this series, I think. I think you need to draw up plays where those guys just get a bucket sometimes. Uh, the Bucks love ball movement. They love passing up good shots for great shots. The Raptors made that ball movement really sticky and tricky with the way they defended and clogged passing lanes. And we saw when things got gummed up for both teams, Kawhi could go and get a bucket and, and unclog things, and the Bucks just didn't have a release valve like that. They need to figure out something. I think more ball screens with Chris and Giannis would help, but they were just the way they attacked left Toronto far too comfortable, and it just made things life – it just made life way too tough for Milwaukee. Yeah, and, you know, this has been – a thing I've kind of talked about all year is I don't trust teams that kind of just play one way. Um, and, and I think having that release valve of, of Kawhi is a great example of it, right? Like when things aren't working for the Raptors, Kawhi, go get us a bucket, you know, here, here's our thing, you know, thing. And that's the thing that worried me about the bucks going into the playoffs. Um, I thought it would have showed more in the Boston series, but little did we know they just weren't going to show up. Um, but the the not having something else to go to once these you know once they kind of figured them out right once the the Raptors kind of put in a game plan of we're going to clog the lane like you said and 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 we'll you know they did a great job too closing out on threes um, after clogging the lanes and 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 knowing when they can pull out of these double teams which is something that's really difficult for a lot of teams to figure out but they were just really good at it. And I just never felt comfortable with another, you know, with anything else the 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 Bucks could throw at them. I mean, you you were talking about just now about you know let's run more Middleton and 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 Giannis pick and roll, but I don't even feel like Middleton's that great in the pick and roll. Um, you know, I know it gives Giannis a different look, and 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 it would just give the Raptors a different look, but I don't even feel like that would have worried them too much. You know, for me all year, the one thing that I wanted to see with the Bucks was you know, like another creator, another person that can cre either create his own shot or create a shot for others um, besides Giannis, just to kind of relieve that pressure from him. You know, having a guy that who could come off the pick and roll and, and whether it's his shot, whether it's Giannis, could also find the guy, you know, on the weak side corner for a three if he's catches the, the, the defense kind of rotating over too much. You know, I, didn't, I just didn't feel like they had that guy. That's not something that Bloodsoe does. Um, it's it's something we we've seen in Brogdon, but I haven't felt like I've seen a lot of it, and I'm not again just not confident in it. For me, it was 
you know, once I find a way to slow down Giannis, which is not easy by any measure, like it's not like something any team could do. I was, you know, kind of like, this is going to be a difficult, uh, series once once somebody figures out how to kind of how they want to attack Giannis and it works um and the other thing too that was really impressive was you know those last two games uh, the Bucks only shot about 33s whereas you know the games before that they they averaged around like 42 three-point attempts um and that's been another thing I've said about the Bucks is you know they weren't a great three-point shooting team but they were just a very high volume three-point shooting team so once that volume was cut down, that really kind of challenged those guys. Yeah, it did. Um, I, I don't have the number in front of me right now, but a lot of the volume that was left in the series ended up being Miritich and Bledsoe shooting the threes, and I think they combined to be like 11 for 60 or something just absolutely dreadful from three, and they were two of the biggest volume shooters the Bucks had, and that was kind of a lot of the issue, I think, is sometimes the Bucks would get good looks from three, they just wouldn't be good looks because of who was actually pulling the trigger. And, right. No. Uh, and then the other, just quickly, I don't know if there's any team that could really shut down Giannis the way the Raptors did, just because the sole fact that you get guys like Siakam and Mark Gasol who are going to help. But when when they put Kawhi on Giannis, that's really when things gummed up for the Bucks the most. And literally no other team has the luxury of having a Kawhi to put on. I don't think there's anyone else – in the league who can really disrupt one-on-one defense defensively like Kawhi. And I just think that the Bucks did not have a counter for that move. I don't think. Yeah. And Kawhi is one of the, t- I mean, God, I mean, he, 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 if he's not the best, he's number two or, you know, one a, um, you know, on ball defenders in the league when, when he wants to kind of lock in, especially with those kind of suction cup hands he has, um, you know, it's, it's over at that point. And, and, and I think he did, this is about as good of a job as you can do on Giannis um, it, 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 without everything else. I mean, this is about all you can do, you know, and like you said, having Siakam and, and, and Gasol coming in on the backside, I mean, that ain't easy for anybody. Um, so very impressive from Toronto. Uh, you know, it, it was fun to see Toronto really kind of the city of Toronto go nuts, you know, the, the exact opposite of, of Milwaukee again. I'm yeah, sorry. It's fun Ty, for but, some uh, people. Yeah, uh, but uh, listen, I had no horse in the race, so for me, it didn't matter either way. Um, you know, looking forward now with with Toronto versus the Warriors. Just your first thoughts right away. Like, what's your what's what's something you? How do you feel this series is going to go? Is it going to be a tight series? Is it? You know, are they going? We we go in seven. Is this thing going to be the Warriors going to blow them out, or the Raptors going to blow them out? Like, what do you got? It's hard. It's so hard for me to get a read on you know competitively which way the series is going to go, especially early on. I think that unfairly, a lot of people write off the East in favor of the West all the time. Where you look at, I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of things recently. Oh, the even without Durant, the Warriors are untouchable. You know, they haven't lost a game since KD goes down. It's like, that's true, yes. You know, they swept a Portland team without Yusuf Nurkic, who, I mean, Dame didn't have it all series, and he was hurt, apparently. He pulled the the genius PR move of leaking the injury after the series. you got to respect it. Right. Uh, and then the Warriors handled a Houston team that they have a lot of history with and that is sort of almost known at this point for having the Warriors in a tough spot and then dropping the plot. So I'm not saying it's not impressive. I'm not saying the Warriors didn't earn those victories. But I am saying respect these teams at the top of the East, who I think we're all 
very, very good teams, and that's why they sort of slugged it out with each other in the latter part of that playoffs uh, over on that side of the bracket. That being said, I'm excited to watch this series, and I'm bummed out that we're now, and I don't mean we as in you and I, Mo, but sort of like as basketball watchers or whatever, are instead of saying, let's see how good this Toronto team is, how far can Kawhi lead them, it feels like there's so much being said about this being yet another referendum on if the Warriors need KD and will they be better if he leaves? Are they more fun if he's not there? When will he come back? If he doesn't play and they win, is he a failure? And I'm just over it, man. I don't care. Like, I want to watch the Golden State Warriors play the Toronto Raptors. Whoever's healthy, suit up and play. Do we have to use every single series as something to build or destroy someone's legacy or these stupid storylines? Mo, can we just focus on some basketball? Ty, man, what are you doing, dude? That's not that's not our era anymore. <laughs> I guess not. We don't, we don't do this. We don't do this anymore, Ty. We take a wrecking ball to these things. We crush these guys now. You know? Could you imagine this era during the the Stockton and Malone? Oh man, they would have gotten clowned relentlessly. It would have been it would have been a whole different deal. Um, you know, I'm with you on that. It's it, it's we we tend to get away from you know the basketball, and I think a lot of that kind of has to do too with sort of the impending free agency on really both teams like you know i know nobody wants to talk about it and we won't go into all that but just it's a cloud kind of looming over all these guys and i think part of it too the where some of this comes from ty is all the the warriors ruined the nba talk you know to kd coming to the warriors ruined the nba so i think there's kind of a a giddiness i think within you know fans and stuff to to Let's let's see what this looks like now, and and maybe this can push you know KD out of Golden State. Maybe we can finally get back to uh, a, a normal situation, um, fair or not fair. I think that's kind of where we how we've ended up here. But uh, just looking at the basketball side of it straight away, you know, I I think we're gonna have a fun series. Um, I think we're gonna have a lot of competitive games. Um, I know some people are getting brave and and picking Toronto. I'm not one of them. Uh, not because I'm not brave. It's just because I don't believe Toronto will win the series, uh, whether Durant plays or not. I think, uh, you know, there's, there's something to be said about uh, uh, championship pedigree, and I think that's something these Warriors have. Um, I Listen, they had no business winning that Houston series once KD went down, especially that game five when KD went down. You know, for them to, to win that game and in, in, in that quarter – um, says a lot about that team and you can kind of see it in, 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 in their walking in the way they're kind of moving around. Obviously their offense is completely different. Um, and I think this type of offense plays better for them against the Raptors than if they had KD and ran a lot of isolation stuff, because, you know, for me, Kawhi's a beast on the ball, but I'm not sure how great he is off the ball. I'm also not sure how great he is, especially with his, his leg, you know, looks like it's practically dead and, and should be amputated at some points when he's walking. Um, you know, I'm not sure how well he's going to do coming off screens, you know, chasing Curry off of a screen and, 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 and chasing clay and, and, and things like that. So I've heard everybody kind of say different things. Some people want to see him on Curry and lock Curry up. Well, I mean, for them, it's easy. They just give the ball to Draymond and let Curry run off screens and, and, and let Draymond kind of quarterback the offense. You know, and I and, and and I think that becomes an issue for the, for the Raptors. You know, I don't think they 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 actually didn't do a great job of that in 
against Philly, who does run a lot of off-ball stuff. So that's something I'm really watching for in this series um, is is how the Raptors' defense hold, holds up against, you know, kind of the the onslaught of off-screen action that we're going to see from the Warriors. You know, what, what are you watching for? Yeah, I think certainly these two teams, it's such a difference than I think what they've sort of been used to. I mean, the last two series for the Warriors, you know, they're playing the combo of first Chris Paul and James Harden and then Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. You know, the best players are all guards. And you can call – I mean, James Harden's position, you could probably sit here and debate for two hours. It wouldn't matter anyway. But, right. you know, basically guards, you know, guys who are, are smaller and, and, you know, play as guards. And then the Raptors, on the other hand, dealt with Giannis this last series. And then before that, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, kind of guys on the bigger side. I mean, Jimmy Butler as well, but – I think this is really kind of an interesting stylistic mesh. And, and I agree with you. I mean, Golden State plays a lot differently than really, I would say, probably any team in the East. I don't think any team in the East really plays that sort of – I mean, you, unless you have Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, I guess you can't really play like they do. But I, I can't wait to see how that meshes and how you know these kind of stars work playing against not exactly star foils. I mean, Kawhi – I don't think we'll be matched up on uh, Steph or Clay on purpose for most of the series. I could be wrong. Who knows? Probably more of a Draymond Green or Andre Iguodala matchup. And on the other end, one of Kyle Lowry or Danny Green will be guarding Steph. It's kind of interesting to me that you know the the top players may not be matched up on each other. I and mean, when KD comes back, then obviously we'll get some KD Kawhi, which that that'll be fun if he comes back. But I, I think really this is interesting to me because you look at the last time Kawhi played the Warriors in the playoffs up 20 points on Golden State in 2017 with KD around before he gets hurt and has to leave the game. But in uh, just under 24 minutes, Kawhi had 26 points, eight rebounds, three assists, and a steal in that game. Just one turnover, plus 21 with Kawhi on the court. And that's against the 2017 Warriors. KD is here, and, you know, his team is good around him, but you're talking about, like, Paul Gasol was starting for the Spurs. He didn't even get minutes this time around. LaMarcus is great. Love LaMarcus Aldridge, but I, I don't think anyone here thinks he's a top five player in the league, and the other two starters are Patty Mills and Danny Green. So, I mean, we've seen a Kawhi-led team do really well against these Warriors. Part of me wonders if because of the injury circumstances and everything else, if he's kind of flown under the radar as one of the best players, absolute best players in the league. And I think this is a great chance for him to sort of prove that, KD or no KD. Hey, this is Jason Pat, co-host of the Cash Considerations podcast. Check out my podcast and others on the network by searching Blue Wire on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcast players. Yeah, see, I don't think he's fallen off the radar. I think especially after this this buck series uh i think we've heard a ton of is he's the best player in the playoffs if there was a playoff mvp it'd be Kawhi and and things like that and and i'm i'm you know that that was a big game um and if he doesn't get hurt you know i do think the spurs win that game but i don't think they win that series um you know the the other thing that's going to be interesting too is you know the warriors had a very long layoff I mean, what, almost like a week and a half, almost two weeks, something like that. It's, uh, I, I would expect there to be some rust. So for me, if you're the Raptors, you got to be aggressive and think you got to get game one, right? You got game one is, is the game you have to get. Um, you, especially cause you're home, you haven't had to travel all of that. 
this is their game. Like they have to have that mentality. And if they hesitate or they struggle a little bit or the moment gets too big for some of these guys, it's going to be a, 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 a real problem. I think I, I don't think they have a chance at this series if they lose game one. I think that's fair. I think the tough beat for the Raptors is I think even if they win the first two, a lot of people would say, well, let's not, let's not get carried away. The right. Warriors still have a lot of bandwidth, but I agree with you. I mean, I think if they, if they win game one and lose game two, I think they're maybe still in it. If they lose game one, that's tough. And one thing I'm going to look at in this series, I think a lot of teams have a bellwether. Even if he's not their best guy, he kind of indicates how things are going. And I think Toronto's bellwether is Kyle Lowry, who was phenomenal in this Buck series, right. off the charts, good for most of it, I would say. Defensively, offensively, doing weird Kyle Lowry, like throwing his body to get a loose ball, all that stuff. If he is just massacred, kind of a <laughs> kind of a grim word choice. But I mean, if he's guarding Steph or Clay and, and those guys just kind of go to go to work and, and just drop a bunch of points on his head and he's not able to get off and, you know, score a lot on the other end. I think that carries over to their team in weird, almost imperceptible, but strong ways, even though clearly, I mean, we all know Kawhi's the best player, everything else. So much importance is still imbued in Kyle Lowry. I'm going to be fascinated to watch how he plays and how the correlation remains between his individual play and how the Raptors as a whole look. And the other thing, too, about the Raptors that I think is going to be really important for them is, you know, Gasol has to be aggressive. You know, there there are times where he passes up threes that are wide open. And I don't know if how that's going to play out with this with this. I'm sorry, with this uh, Warriors team. I started thinking Grizzlies because of how long Gasol's been there. Uh, But with the Warriors, I could see them just going, hey, we're going to let Gasol shoot just because, you know what? He's not going to shoot more than he's not going to shoot 50% of the time he gets that shot, you know, like we'll close out on him when he gets it, but he's not going to just, he's not going to walk away from it with the game with 10, three pointers. No. Like we'll, we're willing to live with that, you know, him getting those catches and, and deal with that. Um, I think that's going to be interesting. Siakam has to make a shot, you know, or at least has to be able to attack on the drive, you know, cause that was a big thing, even in the buck series. Man, he couldn't make a corner three. And the same thing for Danny Green. Danny Green's going to have to hit shots. I mean, as good as he is defensively, they also have to keep up with the Warriors scoring-wise. Um, and and if he's not making shots, it's really tough to justify him being out there. Yeah, I think, you know, it's. I talked about how great Lowry was in the last series, and I think that's almost a double-edged sword because he's probably going to come back to earth sometime. I mean, he shot 46.5% on 43 attempted triples in those six games. I mean, that's really good shooting numbers from Kyle Lowry. I mean, he's been a good shooter most of his career. It wasn't as good in the regular season, but I don't know if you can expect him to continue shooting 46%. I think the Raptors' hope needs to be that, okay, he comes back to earth. Freddie Van Vliet probably comes back to earth, shot 57% from three. But if we can just get some decent shooting numbers from, as you mentioned, Danny Green, Pascal Siakam for sure, and Serge Ibaka, who quietly shot 10% from three right. in that series. That would help sort of make up for a couple of guys coming back to earth. And I think they're better off overall, too, if they get seven to eight guys who they can rely on playing and making shots rather than four guys who are red hot and four to three to four guys who the Warriors like, oh, we don't even care. Because I just think it makes it so easy for an elite defense to shut you down if there's guys you don't care about 
as we already talked about with Pledsoe in the last series. And, right. you know, one thing I'm going to find interesting is the matchups between sort of both of these teams have a forward who can defend a lot of positions and they'll do some things on offense but is limited on offense. Siakam for the Raptors, Draymond Green for the Warriors. I wonder if these teams are going to start with these guys defending each other, daring each other to make shots while they while they play help defense and try to play four on five. I mean, th- those two matchups, those two matching up, I should say, Draymond versus Siakam, might have a lot to do with how this series turns out. Yeah, and you know the 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 flip side, like when you talk about that, like sagging. Here's the mistake about sagging off Draymond. You know, because one, he's not going to shoot the ball like Siakam's going to shoot it and he's either going to make it or he's going to miss it. Draymond's going to be patient with it and he's going to look to make a play. And it doesn't necessarily mean a drive. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to shoot. But when you're sagging off of him, it really opens up an opportunity for him to go into a dribble handoff with Clay, with Curry, Um, you know, and, and when he comes and when those guys come off the handoff and if Green can set a good screen on on their their guy i mean they have a wide open look at the rim because siakam's hanging in the paint and now now rushing out to him and let's be honest when they rush out to him i mean there's a good possibility he's going to foul them either either it's going to be three free throws or or a four-point play like that's the thing too about when you sag off draymond versus when you sag off siakam that's interesting and then the the last point i want to make on this series too it's going to be very interesting how toronto does in transition defense because that was a big thing. We, we we didn't really talk about it in the in the Bucks uh Raptor series, but you know, as soon as they slowed down the Bucks in transition, it became a problem for Milwaukee. And, you know, the the thing about the Warriors is they're they're good both in the half court and in transition. But when they're on their run, when they're going, man, it's it's quick three, three. Next thing you know, you're down twelve. Um rather quickly. So I think it's going to be very important that they handle their, their transition defense and, and then go from that into their half court defense. I think that's going to be really critical in this series. Yeah, that's a really good point. Toronto limiting Milwaukee's half or transition opportunities was huge. And I think especially without KD, you definitely would rather see the Warriors in the half court than in transition. And some of that's going to come down to, can Kawhi continue to First, just make shots. And another thing he did well in that Bucks series is get a lot of contact. Get to the free throw line because that's, I mean, that really slows the game down. I think if you're looking at pace, which team would prefer what to happen, I think it's a no-brainer. If the game is moving slower, Toronto's probably happy about it. Yeah, I'm with you. So we got to talk a little bit of news on the uh, the biggest uh, dumpster fire currently in the NBA. <laughs> Um, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, I'll be honest with you before this story broke. And there's a great story from Baxter Holmes on ESPN about basically all the dysfunction going on in, in, in Laker land. Um, I thought we were done talking about the Lakers for a while, at least till the season ended and we can get some free. And then, then you start talking free agency, but, um, man, Ty, did, did, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. What what do you so got? This is something I actually wanted to specifically ask you about. So it worked out we did this podcast together. But something I saw that I kind of freaked out about when I saw it. And I want to know if this is standard practice or not from your experience. The Lakers had two war rooms during the draft. One just for Magic and Rob, it sounds like. And I'm sure the Rambi were there and maybe Jeannie Buss was there, whoever else. And one for like 
the other front office personnel, a.k.a. the people who probably did the majority, if not almost all of the scouting and everything else and talent evaluating. And those people had no idea that the pick was going to be uh, Mo Wagner and not Amari Spellman. I ended up getting in a really weird argument with some random Lakers guy on Twitter if Amari Spellman's really better than Mo Wagner. I think he is, but I don't think I don't think it really matters. I think the point is the sort of dysfunction and the lack of communication there that leads to most of the front office not knowing who the pick is going to be or actively thinking it's going to be someone else. Yeah, so there's times where I've seen decision makers walk out of the room to get a little more privacy. Um, you know, cuz there 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 are times where it's just the room is really crowded. Um, and, and, and maybe you do just want to get a second to, to chat privately and, 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 you know, sometimes you can have too many chefs in the kitchen. Um, and I, and and so I understand a little bit of that. What I didn't understand was, I mean, like your draft room should not be shocked. That's who you went with. And then the side of the story where, you know, he, he basically said, look, yeah, I, I had some inside information. I talked to Josh Hart and, and decided I didn't want to go with Spellman. Like, that's stuff you need to communicate with your staff, um, you know, and you, you, you need to do your due diligence. But I think this kind of highlighted the the problem that's going on in L.A. And this is the issue. It's just there isn't any communication. There isn't any trust amongst each other. They're all struggling with um, just being transparent. You know, I mean, uh, the the number of different lies, it seems like that that uh, um, I almost called him Rob Lowe, uh, Rob Polinka. Uh, <laughs> keeps getting caught in is everything from like, there's no reason to tell this Heath Ledger story oh or to make this Heath Ledger story up, you know, like that's just absurd. Um, saying to Luke Walton, Hey, you, you know, since you've left, you know, Bob Myers is in meetings like, yo, he's, he's going to text Bob Myers. <laughs> like, you know, he's going to text Kerr and, and like, it's just like, these are things that are just, they make no sense. Um, you know, and what he's doing. Um, it really kind of paints a very, very weird environment in which they're creating. Um, and it's like, it, I just, damn dude, I, I, I just don't know. Like, honestly, I don't know if you're a free agent, how you can, how you can really think like, I'm going to trust my career into these guys who, who don't talk to each other, who go on very little information, little information. Um, I'm going to trust this front office to, to build a, a winner out of this thing. And, and and I know they have LeBron, but it's like, I, I just, I just don't know if you can trust these guys. Like, it's just, it's an unbelievable amount of stuff in that story. There's a real chance that magic and Rob spent more time sniping at each other to other people than they did actually doing their jobs in terms of basketball operations and their time together. And it's just, it's just so obvious. I'm glad you brought up the Bob Myers thing. I forgot about that too. And that one just, with obviously how well Luke Walton continues to get along with Steve Kerr and people in that Warriors organization, what a bizarre thing to lie about. You know, like literally someone who was probably, I don't want to say a mentor, I mean GMing and coaching, obviously different different things, but a, a colleague, a coworker, kind of a boss, so someone who I'm sure is probably close to Luke Walton, telling him that that person now has changed their entire philosophy of doing things. Like, Like first, like just logically, like, what about what has happened with the Warriors in the last X amount of years would make Bob Myers go, yeah, I got to switch things up. Nothing's working here. Right. This is terrible. I need to, 
whatever I'm doing stinks. All we've done is win three out of four titles on our way to potentially four out of five. It's just what a weird thing. And I just think it, it feels to me so obvious that most of the teams that have sort of su- sustained success, there's a formula there that isn't exactly the same every time, but it feels like it starts from the highest levels and it's one of, you know, communication, openness, sort of, you know, people are held accountable, but it, they know why and they understand, you know, you look at the Warriors where as lucky as they've been, whatever you want to say, it's very obvious that like Steve Kerr sort of leads them in a way that has a Zen aspect to it. You know, I would assume that things are not anything close to this in, in uh, Greg Popovich's spurs. And it, I just, you just wonder how these folks can go about their jobs, all this sniping, all this weird back channeling, not letting people in, whatever else, and ever think that this could be a successful formula in the NBA. Just feels like everything we've seen about really successful organizations says that this will not work. And, hey, look, they haven't made the playoffs in six years. I, I don't think that's a coincidence. Yeah, you know, the uh, the phrase, you know, the fish rots from the head down. You know, this starts with ownership, and it starts with Jeannie Buss. And let's let's look at it this way. The Warriors, who who, who have been great champions, you know, have, have a good owner in Lakeup, you know, maybe a bit eccentric, maybe talks too much, but still solid owner. You know, the Spurs have Peter Holt, had Peter Holt for so long. Um, you know, he just stayed out of the way. You know, everybody kind of has a different way of which they do things. But when you look at the best teams in the league that, that have been consistently good, they have great ownership. Um, when you look at the teams that have been very bad, they have very bad ownership. Phoenix with Sarver, terrible. Obviously, you know, things with James Dolan and the Knicks haven't been good. Um, you know, and and... It's, it starts with Jeannie Buss and this whole thing of not going outside the Laker family and everybody's got to be part of the Laker family because only the Laker family knows how to do things. It's stupid. I'm sorry. It just doesn't make sense, you know, and it's a, a silly thing. And the whole, you know, Linda Rambis has a say now in, in, in these things. You know what I mean? Kurt Rambis has a say. Kurt Rambis hasn't had success since he left Phil Jackson's coaching staff. Like, let's just be honest. He hasn't found any sort of, even mediocre success. He was a disaster in Minnesota. He went to New York and was a disaster in New York as part of Phil's staff. Like, I don't understand why you continue just because he was a former Laker. He was bad. He was bad at the job. You know, like, it just doesn't make sense that this guy's in your office. You know, uh, Rob Palenka now making up stories, reading The Alchemist during press conference, <laughs> nada from heaven, and all this rubbish. Like, dude, I'm sorry. It's it's just he he's not good at this job. And and maybe we'll see. Maybe I'll change my tune seeing how he does when he feels like he has the reins all this year. But the honest thing is, I don't even know who's running the show there. You know, do you are you calling? It seems like you're calling Palenka, but is he making the final decision? Is it Kurt Rambis? You know, I is, all is Phil Jackson is Phil Jackson back involved now? Yeah, Phil Jackson's all of a sudden these names popping up. Like this just doesn't make sense. There's no sort of consistency and 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 I can understand why they would lose some of their best people um because of this because it's just you want to be in a happy environment and 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 the whole story of magic kind of creating this whole environment of like I can replace you in a second um you know with with all the resumes and and, and the meeting he had with people and him yelling at people saying I don't make mistakes you want to bet magic you made 6 of them this past year like on let's let's just let's just list them 
Rajon Rondo, <laughs> Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, uh, My- uh, Michael Beasley, uh, that absurd trade for uh, trading Zubac. Not that I think Zubac is good, but you went to trade, you, you, you made a trade that made really no sense. You called the team that was surprised you were offering them this, and they took it in a second. Uh, should tell you that that was a mistake. I mean, you don't make mistakes, Magic. You damn right you do. Look at everything you just did. Um, just none of it has come to fruition. Um, and 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 I just think the whole organization, top down, has to reevaluate everything. And I and it really starts with Genie Bus. And Genie has to sit there and go like, "What am I doing? What am I doing wrong?" Because let's be honest, since the season has ended, since Magic stepped down, which was a whole other fiasco. Um, they haven't gotten a single thing right. They haven't been able to do the coaching search right. They haven't been able to just kind of handle everything properly. The PR has been a disaster for them. Everything has just gone terribly wrong. I'm sorry, Ty. I know I just went on a whole rant there. Um, and it's not the first time I've done this on buckets either, uh, about the Lakers, but it's just absurd. It makes no sense how they're running this organization. And for those that think it starts with, from when Jerry Buss died, I want to point out that in 2011, Going into the playoffs, they began firing the support staff because the lockout was coming. And that says a lot about the organization. Forget about firing these people when the lockout's coming. You do it during the playoffs, which makes no sense because this is when you need everybody to be lockstep and going in the same direction at the same time. We saw it with the Celtics. When they're not, everybody crumbles. And and that's what happened. They got swept in the first, I think they got swept in the first round by Dallas. And let's and here's the thing. That's the only time in Phil Jackson's career he's ever been swept. It's not a it, it, it's not a shocker that the whole organization, all the support staff, was being let go during that time. That none of them wanted to show up to work, and the Lakers got swept. It, I mean, they, it's tied in together. Um, that's all I got, Ty. I, I, I don't know what else you want from me. I, I I'm just very disappointed in that whole franchise. I think you nailed it. I think you know it's the whether it was the support staff back then in 2011, the example you just cited. I know you had a, a good tweet about it earlier too, or the the staff when Magic first came in with that whole big resume. I'm so impressive. This is the Lakers bravado BS. You know, it's and this is true about coaches and players. This is true about any sort of management and the people, you know, they are managing. You need to put people in good positions for them to find success. You just have to. And if you don't have someone who can put people in the right positions, it almost doesn't matter what kind of personnel you have because you're just not going to get the most of them. I mean, to put in perspective how bad this is for the Lakers right now, you mentioned the Suns and Robert Sarver is one of the other disaster scenarios. The Lakers and Suns both wanted a coaching candidate, and that person chose Phoenix. I mean, just think about it. Monty Williams was like, oh, it's this bad in L.A.? I'll deal with Sarver. I mean, that's that speaks volumes, I think, about where both of these where both of these franchises are at. And I almost it's almost insurmountable for L.A. at this point because you also throw the LeBron, Rich Paul factor in all this, and we don't even have time to really get into what that all means. And maybe they would just be better off letting GM Rich be GM Rich for real for once. I don't know. But just you talk about you know a mess meeting another mess. This is just a ridiculous amount of dysfunction right now in L.A. And I think as both of these parties, LeBron and the Lakers, try to come together to get free agents this summer, I think we're going to hear a lot more sort of weird, embarrassing tales from La La Land. 
yeah and 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 who knows what what happens ty that's all i got i actually got to run um what uh tell everybody what you guys got coming up on the euro step and uh let's bounce yeah i mean uh won't take too long obviously not a not a lot no no more game coverage this year for us at the euro step we uh, just released yesterday our sort of season wrap-up podcast last night slash this morning not not whole season but like sort of postseason and kind of a quick uh, uh, post-mortem on Milwaukee's postseason and especially the Raptors series. Going forward, we're going to look at a lot of players, sort of how their year was, and, and sort of a free agency primer as well. So all stuff on the Bucks summer. We'll have covered at the Euro Step. Another great Blue Wire podcast. You can find it everywhere. You find podcasts pretty much. And on my Twitter, at Ty Windish too. Perfect. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to Buckets. Be sure to check us out, you know, after game one of the finals. I'm sure we're going to have a real interesting conversation there. Ty, thanks, man. Yeah, thank you, Mo. It was uh, my pleasure.